Aaron. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 36. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the word of the Lord. Um, it really is fun to be here, and I thank you so much for being here. Um, you could have left when you found out that Johnny wasn't preaching, but thank you for not uh, doing that. Um, you know, I want to say a word about Johnny, just as he did uh, for me. Uh, but my word is this to the congregation. Care for your pastor. I can say that because I've been a pastor for a long, long time. And there are many times when I, I, I wanted and needed the care of the congregation that I served. So whatever that means, give him room to be um, a man, a husband, a father. Uh, give him room to take vacations. Uh, be careful about the, the, um, the difficult burdens that you may put upon him. Um, there's, of course, he's, he's there in order to hear the burdens, and deal with them as a pastor, but be sensitive to his life and all that God wants to do through him in your midst, not just in the past, but in the years to come. And as Johnny said, we're, this is a new series that um, you folks are beginning for the new year in the Gospel of John. And this morning is the first of that series, and as John Johnny said, we're not starting right at the beginning of chapter one. John will come back to that. Uh, Johnny will come back to that later on. But we start at chapter one, verse 19, which has the heading in uh, your Bible, perhaps, as it does in mine, the testimony of John the Baptist. So here we are. We have a passage about John the Baptist in the Gospel of John assigned to me by John the Rector. So there's a lot of Johns here, and um, I'm going to try and keep them straight as we, as we go through here. So it's the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus. Now, testimony 
is also the word witness. In fact, the word witness is used here in this passage. And it says in like verse 19, for example, and this is the testimony of John the Baptist. And verse 32, and John bore witness. Now, isn't this interesting? These are legal terms, aren't they? To bear witness, to bear testimony. And intentionally, these are legal terms. That is really what John is trying to do here, right at the beginning. He gives the, 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 the testimony, he gives the words of John the Baptist in the form of a testimony. And the question really is that John, you see, is under oath. It's like he's in a courtroom. And he is, uh, he is saying and doing those things in order to verify the truth of what he says. And therefore, it takes this solemn kind of approach. John answers with three words. He says, what is, your, what is the testimony that you give, in effect? And he says, I am a voice. I am a highway. And I am uh, a baptizer. So let's just look at these three, okay, for a minute. I am a voice. I'm, uh, I'm a... Uh, Highway, and I am a baptizer. Voice first. I like to listen to BBC on the radio. I don't know if you do. I enjoy it. Um, you get sort of the worldwide perspective on the news and not just the news from the United States. But what I really like about the BBC is that the voices have no personality. <laughs> really, they don't have any. You're just hearing a voice. You don't, sometimes I don't think they even say the name. The voice you see on BBC is not calling attention to itself, but rather to the news that the voice is, uh, is reading or giving to us. So on the radio and on the TV and on the internet in our time, it's sometimes, often isn't it, quite the opposite. The voices call attention to themselves quite deliberately. Uh, some radio voices have personality. And I should have asked Johnny if he gave me permission to say this, but you know, I'll say this and maybe I'll never see you again. I don't know. But they do have personality. For example, some of you may know about Don Lemon. He's a late night commentator. On, and he has a strong personality, doesn't he? But so also, you might say, on the other side of things, Tucker Carlson has a very strong personality. And their personalities are actually a part, so to speak, of their message. Well, that's not what's going on here. Uh, the radio voices here in BBC are intentionally obscure. And, and that's what John the Baptist is seeking to do. Oh, he has a personality, doesn't he? a kind of crazy, wild personality, but that's not his point. He doesn't want his message to be identified with him as much as he wants it to be identified with the oath he's taking, the truth he's speaking, the witness he's giving. I'm just a voice, he says. Don't focus on me. I am just a voice testifying to Christ. And John's voice is often a lonely voice. You can get that kind of between the lines as you read about them in, in, uh, in the Gospels. Um, he is a, a nameless voice that isn't always heard very well. He's, 
He's lonely in his voice, in, in, in his giving his voice. And, um, and, you know, this is not my main point, but it, it's a side point. People had to really listen to John the Baptist to get what he was saying, partly because he didn't make a big deal about himself and partly because his message, his message was a different kind of message. It was, it used words, you know, like, repent. It used words like Lamb of God. Um, it used words that were unusual and people needed to listen to him if they were going to begin to understand what he says. Do I know how to listen? Do I know how to listen? Do you know how to listen to God's truth? And even listen to one another. My wife Barbara who's here this morning and I were talking about that just um, just over the weekend, how well do we do in listening to one another? Oftentimes when we listen, don't we, aren't we thinking of the thing that we're going to say the minute they stop and take a breath, we're going to jump in with what we want to say. In fact, we're not even listening to them while they're talking. We're thinking about what we're going to say when they stop. That's not listening. Oftentimes in listening, the meaning is between the words, isn't it? It's not just the words themselves. And so when we come to scripture and when we come to John the Baptist here and of course to Jesus, what we need to do is to make sure that we're listening. So John the Baptist, he's a voice, a lone voice, but a clear voice. He's coming out of the wilderness and he's calling for the people to change, to repent. Now second, John the Baptist is announcing that uh, he has influence on the building of a highway. So he's a voice, and now he takes the role of a highway, secondly. A highway from the wilderness. A highway from the wilderness to the promised place. To the place where the road is supposed to go. And that, of course, is to Israel and to the promised land. Make straight the way of the Lord, he says. Make straight the way of the Lord. Isaiah is talking about the greatest highway building project that has ever existed in history. The highway from Babylon to Israel after the people have been exiled. This is the highway where the Messiah, you see, will lead the people out of ex exile, out of darkness, out of captivity to their sin, and instead, he will begin to lead them to a promise, to an altogether new promise, to something beautiful, to a way of life that they can hardly imagine. Let me just read, if I may, take a minute to read from Isaiah uh, uh, 40, um, just I think it was just a little bit before what we read here, um, Isaiah 40, that's in the Old Testament, isn't it? Okay, uh, hang on. I was supposed to mark it, but okay, here we are. Uh, this is what he says. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it, 
together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a wonderful passage. You may recognize it, of course, from the Messiah. It's one of the main choruses that is used in the Messiah. But what is happening here is that a new way is being proposed. A new way to know God. And it has to come out of exile. Which means that the people need to begin to understand why they need, uh, they need a new highway. A straight highway. One where the mountains are leveled, the valleys are lifted up. And they can walk on this highway. Because it's the highway out of exile. Darkness and sin. And it's the highway into the altogether new life that the Messiah is going to bring. We need a way back, don't we? We need a way back from the wilderness of our own sin, our own rebellion against the Lord. We cannot make it through the hills and the valleys. This was rough, rough terrain, and we would not make it if the Lord himself had not provided the way by bringing the mountains down and raising the valleys up. To come back from Babylon and from the wilderness that is way east of Israel, is, uh, it, it, takes, um, it takes the Lord to guide. And, and it's, then they get to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is, uh, is the place where, you remember when the people of Israel came to the Promised Land, and, and they were led by Joshua at that point, when they came to the Promised Land, they had to go through the water, through the water to get there. And this is what is going on here also. The people, the people have to come through water. Water is the symbol of life in the Bible, which means that it cleanses us. And that's what John the Baptist is doing. He is giving a baptism for repentance. He is, he is a mighty baptizer. And in his mighty baptizing, he is teaching people that they must be cleansed, that they must learn how to repent. And so he's giving a baptism for repentance. You know, therefore, what we've got, isn't it? A voice, that's who John the Baptist is, a highway, and a baptizer. Now, you, you think about it. When you read the Old Testament, do you ever ever see anything about baptism? Not really. You really don't see baptism at all in the Old Testament. And what has happened in what is called the intertestamental period, the 400 years before, be, between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, is this practice of baptism for cleansing from sin and for repentance has begun to be practiced. Why? Because there were a lot of people who were not Jews who wanted to become Jews. They wanted to come into the family. They wanted to join the march, the, the procession to the promised land. But they were outside of Israel. They needed to understand what it meant to be a part of the people of God. And cleansing with water was a part of that. They need to go through the waters in order to know how to turn from their old lives to their new lives. And so baptism, the way John the Baptist is practicing it, is, is a way in which we see our need for sin. But why then does he baptize Jesus, who had no sin? 
when Jesus comes to him. Because Jesus identifies himself with the people's sin. Jesus is saying, I'm taking upon myself the sin of the people. And so when you baptize me, it's showing not that I need to be cleansed. He didn't need to be cleansed. But on behalf of the people, he did. And so what we are told is that John the Baptist will cleanse with water. But there is one coming who will cleanse, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says here. What does that mean? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? John baptizes for repentance. And Jesus, get this now, in Jesus, when he baptizes with the Spirit, he not only cleanses the people, but he gives them a power to repent. He gives them the ability to say, I need you. And what this is presupposing, my friends, that we have to really deal with is that on our own, we will not always come to Jesus and want to, you know, want to sign up for his, uh, his team. In fact, we will often be going the other way, and it is he who finds us. And when he finds us, and when he draws us to himself, and when we come to say, yes, Lord, I want you, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, which allows us to see ourselves as we truly are. And to repent from what we truly are. Now, this word repentance, it's a big one, and I'm, I'm going to look at my time here. Um, and, oh no, that's not my time. That's my time. Okay. Um, so, repent. Hmm. There's, there's, um, there's actually two words for repent in, in the New Testament. One, you may have heard before, it's metanoia, right? You've probably, some of you have heard that. It means to turn around to turn around and go a different way. But there's another word there, too, that is often used, and it's metatoite. And metatoite doesn't mean to uh, turn around. It means, rather, to think. To think about where we are. Just as John the Baptist was told, he, who are you? Who are you? And he had to think about who he was in order to say that he was a voice in the wilderness. So too do we. Do we, when we come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus, we have to think about who we are. Repentance is a hard word to get, isn't it? We keep thinking, oh my, I've got to repent of all these, uh, you know, sins that I've done and you start thinking about the list of them and some of them seem so small and you don't really I mean it's hard to repent and I think the reason that it's hard to repent is because we don't think about them first we don't we want to do the metanoia but we don't know how to do the metatate and here's what happens when I think we begin to understand our sin and therefore understand why we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order to understand who we are. I want you to think about this way. Uh, think of an iceberg. And if I'd been smart enough, I, I would have gotten these guys to draw an iceberg up there. 
An iceberg, as we know, has the top to it. But underneath the iceberg is this huge, huge part of it that's much, much bigger than what's on top. What's on top? What's on top of the outward things that we may do? Look at things that we shouldn't look at. Uh, sometimes it's shopping. <laughs> sometimes it's drinking. Sometimes it's too much TV. Sometimes it's being impatient. Sometimes it's even being cruel. These are a lot of things that are in our lives that actually we need to repent from, but we must think about these things before we can really repent of them because what is under the surface are the deep motives for doing what we do here, the deep, deep motives. So that what I begin to understand is why. As I metanoite, I don't just metanoia, but I think about why. What is going on in my heart? And this is both the hard part, but it's the absolute necessary heart if we're going to learn to repent and understand what it means to be baptized uh, with and by the Holy Spirit. Let's, let me just give you a quick example. There's so many I could give. But um, let's say those outward things that I mentioned, you know, shopping and, and uh, drinking and TV and eating and looking at things we shouldn't look at. Those are the outward things. But sometimes, I'm not saying this is you, but sometimes when we think more deeply about those things, we see that underneath them is loneliness. Loneliness. I, I'm al I feel alone. And out of that alone, uh, being alone, I, I do things that, that help medicate the pain of my being alone. Now, what I'm saying to you, my friends, is that it doesn't do just to repent of the shopping or the drinking or the TV, too much TV. I like TV, too. But too much TV, what it, what it involves, you see, is going down deep underneath the waterline and saying, where does this loneliness come from? Why am I alone? Why, why do I seek to medicate my loneliness with things that are wrong. And I begin to focus on, on my own inner being, not just on what I do. Remember, I said metanoite isn't just turning around, it's thinking about ourselves. We've got to push it down a little more deeply and understand what it means that we act the way we do, not just that we act the way we do. In, in chapter uh, 16 of John's gospel, um, Jesus is giving this long you know, sermon, or it's his final talk with the disciples. And he says, he says, the Holy Spirit will come to convict of sin, to convict, to teach of righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to come first to convict of sin. That's what Jesus does. That's what the mighty baptizer that John is pointing to. John the Baptist is just pointing to the mighty baptizer who will come to us and will convict us of our wrong and of our need. Our need for him, the great baptizer. You see, 
Um, it's not just, how would I put this? He's called, he goes, as, uh, as John goes on, he says, this is the Lamb of God, right? Behold the Lamb of God. Now, what do you think of when you think of a lamb? You think maybe of a sweet little animal that, you know, kind of, you know, dumb, maybe, and cute. But you don't think of a powerful thing, do you? Well, um, here is what John means. Not only, you see, is this lamb come to be slain for our sins, but he will come in order to apply, to, to give me the ability to understand my sin and to understand my need for repentance. And in fact, he will do what nothing else can do in my life. And that is to help me realize that he, the lamb, is God. He, the lamb, is is powerful. He, the lamb, is strong and mighty, not just wimpy and weak. In the church that I served in Dallas, it was a beautiful old church building, <clears throat> and it had in the back uh, a, a, a kind of like a rose window, but it wasn't a rose window. It was a window that pictured a lamb. And oftentimes I was about the only person that would see that or somebody up in front because it's, you had to look back to see it. But this lamb had a, a flag that he was holding. And it was, the, it was the flag of battle. It was the flag of, of winning. It was the flag of triumph. And that's what Jesus does. He triumphs over us. He triumphs over our sin. He triumphs over our dispositions to sin. He sends his Holy Spirit to turn our hearts around so that we see the Lamb as strong and powerful and we see the Lamb doing what only he can do and that is um, taking away from me the huge, the huge weight of sin. Um, Back when we lived in Dallas, I had a friend who had a, a Jeep, and I love Jeeps. I actually get to try and drive them anytime I can. So if you have a Jeep, give me a call. But um, this Jeep had a, a hard top on it, not a soft top. And so I was saying to him one day, don't you like to take the top off? And he said, oh, yeah, I sure. If the weather gets warmer, I do. And I said, well, do you just lift it off? And he said, oh, no. <laughs> It's much, much too heavy. I have this gizmo in my garage that attaches to it, and it pulls it up mechanically. I couldn't do that myself. It's much too heavy. About, um, well, this was longer ago even, a friend um, was in his basement of a house that they had just acquired, and he was putting up wallboard on the walls. And, um, and he had his one-year-old daughter with him. And something terrible happened. Several sheets of the wallboard fell down on her. 
And of course, my friend was, I mean, absolutely crazy with fear. And he, he struggled to lift these, the, you know, these, the weight of these plasterboards up. And he couldn't, and he called for friends. And he yelled to his neighbors, and finally, it, it, was, it was good and wonderful that people heard, and they came running, and they were barely able to lift it up. My friend, a much lighter example, was barely, he couldn't lift up the top of his uh, Jeep. My friend here couldn't lift up the plasterboards that were crushing his daughter. Now listen to this. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to its own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And in Isaiah 53, famous Isaiah 53, the, the wonderful prediction of, of Jesus coming, it says, he bore the sins of many. You see, this is what, this is what Jesus does. He doesn't just... Um, as it were, die for our sins. He doesn't just take it away. He bears it up. That's a deep part of the meaning, really, of what the work of Christ is. He bears up what we, in all of our weakness, cannot do. He holds up our sin so that we can crawl out from under it. But then what does he do? He gets under the plasterboards himself. And they crush him to death. He takes our place. He is the one who does what we cannot do by dying for our sin, but also giving us new life. Now, why do we need his baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because, as I've hinted, we will not get it ourselves. We will not. We may be religious. We may have, we may go to church. We may, you know, try and do the best we can, keep the Ten Commandments. But we won't get what's going on in our own hearts, underneath the surface of those outward sins. And we won't understand what it means to have the powerful Lamb of God bear those things away and be crushed by the sin of the world. You and I need the Holy Spirit in order to rethink, to metatoite, to metatoite, to rethink our sin and give us the ability then and the power to metanoia our sins, to turn away from them. I don't think we're going to really turn away from them until we understand them. And I don't think we're going to understand them until we understand what Jesus came to do about them. And um, so I'm going to end there. You know what we need to do? Ask. Jesus, 
send your Holy Spirit to me again that I might see myself accurately. I think about myself accurately. Send the Holy Spirit so that I might see there's no recourse, there's no way out from the plasterboard of sin except if you lift it up. Ask him. We ask too little. Ask him to do that for you. Not just once. Yeah, once. When we come to Christ, when we're converted. But again and again and again. On our way. On our way. Across the wilderness. Through the water. And into the promised land. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for the privilege of uh, hearing your word, of thinking about it, of seeking to apply it to our lives. Lord God, make us obedient to what we hear and to love you all the more because of what you have done that your word describes to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.